Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Hello and welcome to this short course, Mastering Your Money the Smart Way Without Working Any Harder, Lesson 3. And in Lesson 3, I'm going to go through managing and respecting your money. Now, I just want to remind you that I'm giving this course free to my followers and podcast followers uh, as, as a special gift for following me during these 300 odd episodes that I've recorded of my podcast. So by the end of this module, you'll learn how to manage and respect your money and, and make informed investment decisions along the way to becoming a smart money manager. Remember that smart, S-M-A-R-T, I'm going through uh, this bit by bit, and today we're on M, manage and respect your money. Now, you can't manage your money without the right financial information. And we've talked about in this, this in the last module that you need to know what's coming in and what's going out. And managing money or managing your household must be worked on constantly throughout your life, like exercise or washing. You can't expect to stay in shape if you only exercise once a year, right? So you've got to do this all the time. It's a constant evolving process as things change. It never stops, in other words. But if you get used to to, to, to looking at the figures, writing things down, recording things, then this will be a much easier job than waiting for things to go wrong. And then, you know, you're overdrawn at the bank and you don't know what money's come in. You know, I don't know where it goes. You know, this this is what managing your money is all about. So let me ask you, let me look at it this way. What is what is managing your money really mean? Well, in practical terms, managing your money could be defined as control, influence, taking charge of your money. An example could be managing your finance uh, well enough that have enough money put aside so that you would be able to pay your bills despite a job loss or a financial disaster. Now, let me ask you a question. If you lost your job, how long could you pay your bills? How long could you pay your mortgage for? How long could you to, to manage to, to keep things afloat? Now, of course, during a financial crisis or a recession that we, we've just seen, millions of people lose their jobs, lose their homes, within months have been made redundant. They have no savings. Instead, they have, uh, you know, rent or, or mortgage payments, credit cards, car lease payments, loans. In short, that people are living on this knife edge and they're no more than one, two, three salaries away from bankruptcy, foreclosure, homelessness. And we saw this, you know, during the last year or so, we've seen people you know, I've been interviewed on, on TV and normally you, you're sort of interviewing people outside the factory gates and they've they've decided to close that factory down and move it abroad or something like that. And they say, well, how do you feel? They say, well, I, I'm devastated. And of course, people are devastated. I'm not making fun of anybody, but they, they, they say, I'm devastated. I, I can't pay my bills this month. Some of them admit it on TV. They say, well, I, 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 I can only manage to pay the mortgage for this month and then, then I'm stuck. And, and sometimes these are people that are you know, not not young kids. These are people who have been maybe working for several years, but still have, have nothing put aside. 
And and you could call this another word for this is uh, rainy day money. Have you heard that expression? Rainy day money, money for when it rains. You know, uh, it's no point in fixing the roof during a rainstorm. You've got to fix the roof when the sun is shining, as they say. So you must have an emergency contingency fund, you could call it, so that you're not dependent on borrowing credit cards or instant payday loans. Uh, you know, when when the car breaks down or the washing machine breaks down. Have you seen these ads where uh, a lady comes out of the house and, and the kids are complaining saying, oh, mum, my, my shirt's not washed. And she looks up and says, oh, I've got to get that washing machine fixed, but I haven't got any money. And then another bubble appears above her head said, hi, we can help there. We can give you a money, instant money today, the £100 you need to fix that washing machine. And then the end of the ad is the kids walking out with nice new shirts and everybody looks happy, don't they? Well, this is what these these kind of lenders do, uh, wonga.com, that, that type of lender. But some of these well-known lenders, you, you could call them payday lenders because it's that, that comes from the term when people used to get paid by a check, remember those checks, and they couldn't get the money immediately. So they would go to a, a payday lender, a, a check cashing organization who would cash that check in, give them the money instantly rather than waiting two or three days for it to clear into their bank account. And they would charge them maybe 5%. For, for doing that just for a, like a couple of days. Well, that works out to a huge amount if you, you, you annualize that. And it's certainly a huge amount if you do that every month. So in other words, people would get their paycheck, but couldn't wait even two days to, to get hold of the money. They needed the money now. And similarly, if they got a refund or something, they go and cash it in straight away. So they were known as payday lenders. And they can charge as much as 91, even more than that, 91% or APR, annualized percentage rate. These are for small unsecured loans. Uh, according, This is according to Payday UK's website. Now, borrowers don't realize that they're paying 91% annualized rate because they're maybe paying it off in less than a year, but the rate still applies. That's what the rate is for. And some of the paid, like Wonga said, well, we're not charging 50% per annum because that doesn't apply because we only lend the money for two months. But that's a bit of a cop-out. It's a bit of a misleading, really, because that's what the annualized rate is there for, to, to, to make people realize exactly what they're paying. This is why the law was changed many years ago, to, that lenders have to show an annualized rate. So uh, Payday, UK, Payday UK, you can look this up, quotes on, on the following example. I'll read this out. It's a bit long-winded, but you, you need to know this. Representative example, borrow £500 for six months, interest £160.27. Doesn't sound a lot, does it? Interest rates, 65% per annum fixed. Representative APR, 91%. Total amount payable, £660.27. Rates between, uh, and then it says 9.3 APR and 1,294% APR. So they're given the range there. This, I'm assuming the 9% would, would be if you paid off early. Now, what happens if you go over the, the six months? Then, then you're going to get penalized even more. And some of these lenders don't even allow you to pay it off early without a, a penalty. And, and, you know, you look at credit cards, 16, 18%. These are still high rates, but, but these payday lenders are ridiculous. That's why you need to have a, a, a bit of money put aside, a three to six months salary, ideally put aside so that you can cope with, with a crisis. So you should be doing that before you spend money on holidays, new cars and gadgets. Now, you might think the high street banks are a bit better, but even the high street banks are charging as much as 40% on a temporary overdraft. This is where you got overdrawn 
40%. Now that's 400 times the base UK base rates, right? Now UK base rate is, is now at 0.1%. That's a tenth of 1%, the lowest it's ever been in history. And it's similar in, 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 in America and other countries. Rates are, are being kept artificially low, but that's another subject. Now, so if a lender is charging you 3% on your mortgage, you think, great, that's, that's a pretty good rate. But that is actually 40 times the 0.1% the base lending rates on which they can borrow money. They can get hold of money at 0.1% or maybe a little bit more, but around about that figure. And, and they get this from the markets and from us, the depositors. Look at the interest rate you're, you're being paid on your, your, your deposit account or some current accounts pay interest uh, on current account balances. So that's 40 times. That's, that's a huge margin. And it's the highest that I've ever seen as a margin, uh, you know, in, in terms of mortgages, because mortgages used to cost around 2% over base rates. Lenders used to, when the mortgages were pegged to the base rate, but they're not now, lenders would say, well, we'll charge you 1% over base rate, one and a half over base rate, or maybe 2% over base rate. So when, when the base rate was say 8%, I can't remember when it was 8%, you would typically pay 10% on your mortgage and you'd be happy with that. So that's a margin of, one and a quarter over the, the base lending rate, right? 6% charging or 8% charging 10%, 2% over, it doesn't sound too much. One and the, It's about 1.25 over base rate. But where you're borrowing money uh, at now at 3%, you're paying, uh, you know, not, not, not one and a quarter over the base rate, you're paying 40 times the base rate, right? And this is, this is, why the banks have the biggest buildings in all the big cities and why the banks are, are now declaring quite huge profits despite the worst recession in history. So just think about that. Uh, just giving you that pause for thought. When you, you look at borrowing money, think about how many times over the base rate. Well, think about the profit that the banks are charging on that money. So what's the solution? As I said, you need to have a contingency fund for emergencies so that you don't have to rely on what I would call loan sharks and there are even worse lenders, the guys that knock on your door and say, would you like to borrow 50 pounds? Uh, these are illegal lenders. But even, you know, I think the payday lenders to me are like loan sharks, legalized loan sharking. So uh, if you do need credit, look for cheaper alternatives. Try credit unions, for instance, that they, they might be a cheaper and better alternative or, or borrow from somebody that you can borrow from a, a relative or something. But but, but don't use these, these loan sharks, as I call them. But you need to have reserves of up to six to 12 months salary in your bank in case you lose your job or any source of income. Now think about large companies, large governments, local authorities, they hold reserves. They hold millions of pounds in, in reserves uh, you know, in case of disasters, right? They also have a disaster recovery plan in place, literally, uh, if if the building was blown up today, they that the next day they would have all their computers on another site and they could run the, the local authority or the government department straight away. And large companies have this as well. They have backup systems. All their software is backed up. All their databases backed up. They have another site where they could get up and running the next day. Most people don't even back up their own laptops or computers. But large companies have reserves. I remember when I was when I was a counselor, I asked them, you know, why do you have all these money? Why do you have millions of pounds in reserves? And they said, well, we never know when there's going to be a disaster. In fact, I think they had too much in reserves, but at least they had reserves. So you can't possibly, and, and just, just think about that. You must have six to 12 months salary in the bank so that you can cope with any disasters. Now, 
The other thing is you can't possibly manage or control your finances without data. Data means numbers, knowing exactly what's coming in and exactly what is going out. Um, managers can't manage a company without accurate management information and your household is no different. So think of yourself as a business. Think of your own household as a business or a corporation. Think of yourself as the CEO, the chief executive of your own business, the managing director. I'm the managing director of Charles Kelly Limited. Think about that. It's just a way of thinking about this, right? Then you should be like a business would hold monthly, quarterly, annual board meetings with you on your own, if you're the only director or with your family, right? Sit down and say, well, where are we now? This is what a company does. They would say, well, how much revenue have we had in? How much have we spent? What are, what are we forecasting to spend over the next quarter or, or month? Look at, they do a cash flow forecast. Say, so, well, over the next month, we've got rent coming in. We've got uh, an expense coming in to cover repairs, or we've got, we've got to buy new trucks for the business. This would be all forecast on their cash flow forecast. They don't just think, oh, now we've got to buy a truck. Where's the money going to come from? No, but people in households do. They think the washing machine is broken. I haven't got 50 pounds to repair it. You know, so look, you've got to think of yourself, be serious about this. Think of yourself as a business, right? And, and set up a, a system to track your revenue coming in and your cost, your money going out. I talked about this in, in the last module. You can do this on a piece of paper. You can do this on a spreadsheet, however. But, you know, you've got to know where you are and what's coming in, what's going out. Okay, so what does re respecting your money mean? Managing and respecting your money. Well, respecting your money means respecting your money so that your money will respect you. It's a bit like a universal law, really. If you respect your money, your money will respect you. Now, one of my old mentors and author and speaker, Joe Vitale, and he was featured in the, the, the movie, The Secret, advises that money has its own psychology. It has its own energy, which you can either attract or block, depending on your mindset. Now, it all sounds a bit woo-woo, right? But, you know, think about energy. Energy doesn't die. It moves around, changes form, right? Similarly, money circulates and helps people in, you know, in multiple ways. Let's, let's look at it this way. Think about it. Let's say you give $10 to a friend to pay his cleaner, right? So he's had the $10, he's paid his cleaner. Then the, the cleaner then uses the same $10 to pay for shoe repairs. The repair guy uh, takes the $10 to, to, to buy lunch at a coffee place, right? He goes to Starbucks, here's the cash. Starbucks banks the cash. Your friend goes into the bank to draw out some money and, and gets the same $10 note. That sounds a bit uh, unlikely, but just, just bear with me. So how many times has that $10 bought? How many, how many times has that $10 been used? How many things has that $10 bought, right? It paid for the cleaner. It paid for the shoe repairs. It paid for the, the lunch, the coffee. It goes into the bank and then it comes out again. It's circulating. It's like energy. So right now, there are trillions of dollars in circulation. They've been used uh, over and over again. You know, sometimes you get a dirty old note, don't you, that's been creased and, and ruffled up because it's been used so many times, right? So, so think about the energy of money. Think about are you, what are you doing to attract money? What are you doing in, in, in terms of your energy to, to attract? Maybe you're repelling money. Maybe you're saying, oh, money's bad. Money's dirty. I, I knew somebody who said, I hate cash. You know, I don't like handling cash. It's dirty. There's germs on cash. You know, that's repelling money. Now don't use don't think about it in that way. Other people think money is bad, money is evil. People with money are are rich and, and they're all evil. P 
people money are crooks. So don't think about that. That's bad money energy, right? Don't think about money that way. You know, rich people are not all crooks. I know many wealthy people who do a lot of good for society. They even in a local, unassuming way, they don't make a big song and dance about it. They're always doing. They have giving accounts in the. They have a separate bank account called a giving account. You know, so not all rich people are nasty people like portrayed on the on the movies, right? Forget all about that. Yeah, there are courses and crooks out there. But wealthy people, rich people are usually honest people because if when you're honest, you can borrow money, you can raise funds. If you're dishonest and you're a crook, no one's going to do business with you. No one's going to give you money, are they? So so forget about all that rich people are crook. And I talk about this in my book. Yes, money can buy you happiness. That's the worst thing you can think about is that rich people are bad. And many of us are conditioned from young to think, you know, I've had this myself. Oh, they're, they're bad. They're, they're, they're wealthy. They fit all their taxes. They, they don't pay tax. They rip everybody off. They employ people. They pay them low wages and they, they screw them. This is not true, right? You know, big companies look after their staff. You know, Microsoft has made, you know, hundreds of thousands of millionaires within, within Microsoft, right? They look after the, the big companies, the Google, the Microsoft, Apple have some of the best working conditions ever, so, so don't think about that. The big companies look after their staff. Their staff look after them. That's why they have good businesses. That's why they can sell their businesses for, for high profits because they, they've got good a good team and they look after people. So I've just given a little side issue there. Don't think about money as bad. Don't think about people with money as bad, right? Now, the author, Brian Tracy, he gave me this simple idea. I met him in, in, in America when I was on a seminar. Now, this great speaker said, he said, you should respect money and even look after the cash in your wallet and uh, purse or purse, or whatever you call it, your wallet or purse or handbag by placing each dollar bill neatly in order of value. So you've got the $100, the $20, the $5, the $1. And he even said, have the president's head facing the right way. I've, I've followed this habit, right? So I've got the, the 20 pounds and the 10 pounds and the five pounds always in the same order in my wallet. And, and this might sound a bit silly, right? But Brian went on to say that whenever he met someone who had money issues or were broke, their money, he said, let's have a look at your money and it would be stuffed in their pocket like a, a load of old notes and all screwed up or or, or the, the handbag and that they dig, a woman would dig into a handbag and pull out all these notes and, and, and stuff and say, oh, well, I've got some money here and you know, this, here's my money. And, and it was horrible, it was crumpled piece, like they treated it like worthless pieces of paper. And it was a metaphor for the way they treated money and ultimately the way money would treat them. And I, if, I, if I meet people like this, I say, why don't you keep your money neatly? And I would tell them. And many people come back to me and said, you know, since I've been keeping that money neatly, it's amazing how money has seems to come to me now. I attract more money. I keep more money. So respecting money is like respecting others, treating it well, nurturing it, looking after it, always taking care of it, right? Giving it TLC. Now, I had an old school friend and he was from a, a well-off family. Our family were not rich by any means. We, we were certainly a lot poorer than him. And his name was Mal. And, you know, as I said, his dad had a nice little business. And, uh, you know, he always had money, right? He always had nice clothes and uh, he, he always had money in his pocket. But one day I saw him take some pennies, little coins, brass coins out of his pocket. And he threw this money onto a, a railway line. We were on the, on the underground and he threw this money and then he threw out another penny and another penny. I said, you know, what are you doing that for? And he said, oh, they're dirty old coins. They're not worth anything. And he would just throw them away. And, 
you know, I, I said, no, that's crazy. Why, why are you throwing money away? He said, no, they're, they're, they're just dirty old brass coins. I don't need them. Now, his lack of respect for money led to him being broke. In fact, you know, during when his dad's business, and his dad was a bit of a gambler as well, when his dad's business went down, he, he ended up kind of broke. And his dad ended up broke. In fact, his dad ended up with 30 pence on his side table when, it, when, when he found his dad dead. And, and Mal was the same. And he always seemed to struggle with money. Even when he was working with his dad, he always ran out of money before the end of the week. And his dad would have to give him a sub on, on the next week's wages. You know, he didn't treat money well. And money always drifted away from it, went through his fingers like water. And money didn't respect him. He was always broke or, or having problems. Now, on the other hand, I had the habit of picking up coins. Now, this sounds a bit strange. If I see a coin in the street, I pick it up and think, well, well that's good luck money. And in fact, you know, the late Wayne Dyer, Wayne Dyer did the same thing. You remember the author of the book, Winning Through Intimidation? Great guy. Met him as well when he came to London. He also picked up coins and gave thanks to, to the universe, to God, to say thank you for that money. Thanks for the blessing of money. And he would keep it in a jar. Now, I've done the same thing. I, 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 I've got a jar and I put the old coins in there. And recently I went to, to, to the bank where they've got this coin machine. You pour it in and it, it tells you how much is in there. And you, you can get the cash from that, 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 th those coins. And I had about 150 pounds of cash just from collecting old coins in the street. Now, of course, I wash them and I keep them clean and all that sort of thing. But, you know, what I'm saying is look after your money and it will look after you. Now, certainly Dwayne Dyer was a multimillionaire. He didn't need those coins. But, you know, it was just a, a metaphor for looking after your money and, and saying that, you know, if you find coin or you find some money in the street, it's like a blessing coming to you. Even if you give it away to charity and pass on that blessing. Now, by the way, if you're enjoying this, please share this with your friends. Follow me on social media so that we can give people more free value. Click the like button or subscribe or what do you have to do? Now, the other thing here is that education is key. Lack of financial education can be extremely costly for you in your lifetime, more so than lack of academic education. For instance, you know, not understanding how high management, char management charges on a mutual fund or a pension fund can seriously affect the, the, the value of your portfolio over the lifetime. It could cost you even up to 20 or 30 percent of your portfolio, or in other words, hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars. Right now, buying a house, for instance, is, a, is another big financial transaction, which and it's probably the biggest financial transaction which people would make in their life. Yet few people understand mortgages. They don't understand how mortgages even work. You know, they, they, they borrow hundreds of thousands and, and sign on the dotted line without even reading the terms and conditions. How do I know this? Because I was a financial advisor. I, I was arranging mortgages for people. And they said, yeah, yeah, just give it to me. I'll sign that. And I met extremely intelligent academics, scientists, directors, people running huge companies who didn't understand how to manage their money and their personal finances. And in some cases made really costly errors uh, and, and, and even retired broke. One guy was literally a physicist working at the Imperial College. He was a, a Russian-born physicist, and he, he, he could do these equations on boards behind him. You know, he, he was almost like his, his, his level of energy was like rocket science, but he, he was in arrears with his mortgage. He had problems with his mortgage. And, you know, it, it was amazing how he, he couldn't manage his own finances. Now, finances, of course, is not taught in schools. I've been campaigning for this for years. Why is it that, you know, someone who graduates from formal education, from maybe 
university, maybe with a degree or a master's degree, is actually financially ignorant. And then we rely on financial advisors to tell us what to do. But, you know, where do financial advisors get their education from? Well, the answer is they get it from industry-led courses. Now, when I, when I, when I joined in, in financial services, I did lots of courses and they were great courses led by the industry, um, not necessarily run by the industry, but supported by the industry. You've got schools that teach uh, you how to become a financial advisor. And then, then we take exams and that sort of thing. But did you know that anybody can take these courses? You don't have to be a financial advisor to take these courses. You can take a basic financial advisor course without becoming an advisor. Now, the knowledge I gained from these courses was it was invaluable in my lifetime. You know, it was probably worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to me. Uh, you know, in my during my lifetime, in my business, in in buying property and mortgages. You know, I, I must say it's one of the best things I ever learned was was this financial information. So the courses taught me about saving, about investment, about charges, uh, more importantly, about borrowing money and and using the infinite benefits of leverage and using other people's money. I mean, it's it's really been I, I can't tell you how invaluable that that knowledge has been to me over the years. It taught me about the basis of the stock market, the basis of property, about tax, how to, to you know what taxes you should be paying, what taxes you shouldn't be paying. So you could take take this on whatever country you're in. Look for a short home study financial advisor course, um, and and you know it, it's worth to you more than an MBA. I promise you, and it doesn't cost it'll cost you a few hundred dollars maybe. And you don't have to take the exams at the end of it unless you want to be a financial advisor, of course. Now, the world of finance is constantly changing. It's evolving. So you need to keep yourself up to date. You need to read financial pages, maybe the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, quality newspapers, magazines. Um, and sometimes you can get these from your local library or online. It only takes a few minutes a day to scan the financial news, um, you know, or maybe an hour at the weekend to read the money pages or a money magazine. But this investment will pay exponential dividends in your lifetime and give you what I call perpetual returns for the rest of your life. OK, so that, those are the things I want you to look at. So summary of day of this day. Right. So this this lesson three, managing and respecting your money, learning about the world of finances is a lifelong process. And it's like looking after your health or your, your cleanliness. Now, action steps. Think about how to manage your money. Start recording your monthly income and expenditure. Calculate how long you can survive uh, if your income dried up. And be honest with yourself. You're not fooling anybody here, right? Start saving for emergencies and have a disaster recovery plan in place. Start building up a fund of six to 12 months of essential expenditure. Organize and respect your money, like I told you, with, the, with, the, with your, your notes. Educate yourself in all aspects of personal finance. Take a course or read books about finance. Read the financial news and never stop learning and updating your knowledge. Remember I said, think of yourself as a business. Have those meetings, your board meetings every month, every quarter, at least once a year, for God's sake. You know, do this, right? Don't, don't just let things drift. So thanks for listening. And thanks for, um, you know, listening to me today. Congratulations on completing this module. You've got a bit of homework to do there. But in the next module, we'll be looking about how to accumulate money over time. This is not get rich quick. This is accumulating money over time. So if you'd like to learn about 
more about how to invest your money, manage your money, maybe get into property, become a property investor, or just be financially free without working harder and exchanging your time for money, then do watch the, the free on-demand training that I've put up uh, on, on the web and you can learn how to become financially free without working any harder. This course is just a part of it. So, I'll, and if you complete that 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 uh, video, that module there, I'll give you a special free gift which can help you transform your finances immediately just for attending the online training. So I'm putting the link up to that. Do have a look at that and you've got nothing to lose, it's free. So, so thanks for listening today and I will speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 